0: Let us turn to the book of Job, uh, right in the middle of your Bible, it's just the last book before the Psalms, Job, and we'll go to to, to chapter 7, and begin to read at verse 11, 11 through 16, we're focusing on verse 12, though, uh, but we'll start reading with verse 11, so Job 7, verse 11, beginning to read then with that passage, verse 11. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you sent a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone. Let me alone. For my days are but a breath. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Now we're going to focus on verse 12, just to look at the whole passage for a moment. We know the terrible judgments and sufferings through which Job passed, and we Pray in our own lives that that we would not enter into such. We know, in the, for the most part, that God gives us this scriptural lesson and the scriptural example for us, not demanding that we go through such things as this. Uh, but yet, we often lose children. We often find great suffering in our lives, and uh, Job is a great, a great example of that. We know we've heard the you've heard the saying. Uh, the patience of Job, well this passage here is getting right on the edge of his impatience uh, because um, by, and, by and large Job was very uh, sedate, very calm in the face of the things which the Lord brought upon him but he did cry out and, and his suffering was was so great that he uh, he did lift up his cry unto the Lord. Uh, and but normally we think job has done far better than we if this sort of thing had happened to us and it's so it's interesting the very first verse verse job says therefore i will not restrain my mouth now if you think about that and you think of the whole of job you think well job job never really let go i mean after after all of these things that happened to him the the losing of his uh, animals, the, the death of his children, um, the storms and that sort of thing that beat upon him, he he stands before the Lord and he said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many people are there that you know that when things like this have happened that they have that kind of quiet resolve? The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Focusing on the Lord and his wonder rather than upon the calamity that's befallen uh, them and their lives. And yet here, uh, Job kind of lets loose. And he doesn't really, he, like I say, he doesn't really let loose. But and what you see that in the sentence, the, uh, the second part of this first sentence, he says, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will be, but he's not saying here he's going to start cursing God or blasphemy or something like that. No, right away he says, "I will speak in the anguish of my spirit." So for Job, the the very uh, re, the refrain of his anguish or the the recounting of his anguish of heart, he counts that as a kind of uh, lack of restraint of his of his mouth. So. This man, Job, is a wonderful example. And yet even here, where he uh, where he uh, speaks of the anguish of his spirit, we see implicitly that he's wrong, uh, that he does not understand the greatness of God as much as he should. We see at the end of Job, Job chapter 42, where he says, uh, after all that he goes through, and after all of the visitations by the, the Lord and his spirit, Job says, I've, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now I see thee face to face, and I repent in dust and ashes. So the very last thing that Job says, in a sense, is that no matter what he's gone through, he realizes that he has no grounds for complaint. When one considers the wonder with which the Lord made us, when when one considers the joys that he gives us, if if we are to lose our families today like Job did then, has God not given us these families for a certain number of years or or months or days to enjoy if we lose husband or wife is it because God is in great or because we don't know we don't notice the wonder and the splendor of all that the Lord has poured out upon us and I think most of the time we see this when we lose parents and that sort of thing we think uh, we think oh Lord it, it hurts to lose my father or my mother. But how wondrous have you been to give me this person for so much of my life, to 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 leave their imprint upon my heart and my soul, to give me the virtues, so many of the virtues that they had. And by thy spirit, thou hast given them and used that to bless me. So uh, most of us have that kind of a sense about us, and we realize the greatness and the goodness of God. And um, so Job here, uh, uh, he doesn't, he's not, not um, mindful of that kind of thing and that's one of the reasons he says c- in control a- as he is but yet he is he is full of anguish and uh, we see where he speaks of his dreams he said you scare me with dreams you terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body I loathe my life I would not live forever let me alone for my days are but a breath so we see the anguish of Job. And that's pretty realistic. Um, And we we think to ourselves, I would probably be much worse than that. But uh, the focus of the message here is upon this verse 12. And it's this odd uh, comparison that Job raises, or an ironic comparison, uh, with the sea as a comparison for his soul. That's the title of the message, A Sea Versus Soul. Uh, now, I, I, this, is a, this is just a, a refrain or an off, a parenthetical refrain in this text, and this is one of the reasons why the Bible is so is so beautiful. Even the parenthetical refrains of the scriptures are, are lovely to us, and uh, I'm I'm blessed to see this today, not from my own eyes, but from the eyes of. Uh, the old famous preacher, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, and this uh, he talked about this in his morning and evening devotions on September 16th. And uh, Susan and I will often use uh, use this uh, for, uh, to, to start our day or to inspire our day. And so uh, I saw this and uh, immediately I was thinking immediately I thought we've got a communion coming up and this sounds like a great verse. Uh, for communion because it calls our attention to how much we need the Lord. And that's the, the sense of this uh, as Spurgeon sees this, how much we need the Lord. And so we're coming to the Lord's Supper, we're coming to eat, we're coming to enjoy spiritual communion with the Lord, but we're doing that with an object in mind, with a goal in mind, and that is to, get, to get, regain strength to see if, if God can bless us. And when we see our weakness in the flesh, or the more we see our weakness in the flesh, the more we can enlarge uh, the desires that we have to be with God and to have the Lord bless us in and through the supper. And so I think that this text gets us there uh, by this ironic comparison. Now if, when you read through this, you see Job says he's, he's an anguished spirit, he will complain in the bitterness of his soul, and then he, he utters this odd line, am I a sea or a sea serpent? That you set a guard over me, uh, so he's comparing he's comparing himself to the oceans and to the great beasts of the ocean like the whale, and he's comparing himself to them, and uh, he's saying um, he's he's complaining to God. This is out of the bitterness of his heart. He says he's complaining to God about the the treatment that he has received, and when he so when he's when he compares himself to the sea or a sea serpent. That you set a guard over me. Uh, he's asking the Lord. He, he's complaining. He's on one hand, he's saying he, he thinks himself too insignificant uh, to be to have God's attention to the degree that God has attended to him. Uh, God has really focused His His wrath, and yet it was a wrath uh, wrapped in love. Uh, or love wrapped in wrath, I guess would be better to say, and uh, and so Job sees uh, sees the wrathful part, but he 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 compares himself to the sea uh, that, that that the Lord should set a guard or that the, the the Lord should watch over the sea, and so he sets himself he comp- he's comparing himself and his soul the sea, and so it demands that we ask ourselves the question: How does God watch the sea? How, what is Job talking about here? And uh, Mr. Spurgeon said two things. He said that, that on one hand, Job felt himself too insignificant to to uh, to receive such watching or such chastening, and on the other hand, he 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 considered himself not so unruly that he needed this this. Uh, this uh, wrathful tutorial, you might say, on the power of God, and so he compares himself to the sea or a sea serpent, <clears throat> that uh, uh, because he knows that the Lord has command over the seas, and uh, and so he's saying, Am I, am I like the sea that I need your care? Now the sea is known for its storms, for its. Uh ruining people's lives in a sense but it's also known for many good things it's known for its beauty but uh, Job compares himself to the sea he doesn't see any comparison between uh, himself and the sea and uh, he, he sees the uh, that the sea as something much greater than he and what, so why should God give his attention to Job and so uh, Charles Hayden Spurgeon meditated upon that and, uh, in, a, in a most wonderful way And uh, uh, he says, it is true that man is not the sea, but is he not even more troublesome and unruly? Are we not more troublesome and unruly? And so we're apt to think of the sea as tossing and turning and going this way and that, but Spurgeon says, "Uh, the sea obediently respects its boundary. And though it be but a belt of sand, it does not overlap Uh, Overleap the limit of the shore. Mighty as it is, it bears the divine hitherto, the divine command. And when most raging with tempest, it respects the Lord. Now, we've been going, my, my family has been going to Cape Cod off and on since the 1960s when my mother and father first stumbled upon this great deal. Out there for a great vacation in a beautiful place that was unimaginably cheap. You very, you very rarely find you know great and cheap together. But they stumbled upon this, and once they found it, they knew a good thing, and so they kept coming, taking us back. And um, on this particular, this is on the outward side of the of the cape. So the cape is like a big arm that reaches out into the sea to the east. And uh, the churro the is right, right out here on the outside, uh, right near my knuckles of my hand, and that's where the ocean currents strike the cape uh, with the most ferocity. And so, over the course of our lives, uh, in that 60 years that we that have passed since I first saw that, uh, there's about uh, there's about 50 to 100 yards of shoreline that has been. Been eaten away or taken back. Cape Cod is uh, this gigantic pile of sand uh, created by the glaciers, they say, and uh, which we would interpret as the great uh, uh, meteoric events that happened after the flood. And so uh, this this great spit of sand just sticks out into the sea there. And it's a uh, you know if you've ever thought to yourself, if you're a fisherman, you've always thought, well, I I wish I had a boat that would take me out. You know, 50 miles or 100 miles to the good fishing grounds, so to speak. Well, Cape Cod does that by land. It's is the spit of land that goes out, and it's one of the greatest fishing grounds in the whole world. And uh, even uh, even in colonial times and before, uh, the Europeans who were from uh, from Newfoundland down to Cape Cod, they would send their fishing boats, and and uh, they say that when they first arrived, that the cod were so thick and and uh, and. Uh, Boston Harbor, inside, inside this arm, uh, that uh, it was just an extraordinary provision by God for uh, primitive peoples trying to set up a new society there. But um, despite the fact that there, I can see erosion there, uh, the, if you go there today, you get the same impression that you did when I was there in the 60s. It's the, there's the, basically the same beach. Uh, they've had to move the houses back from the cliffs, uh, maybe 100 feet or more, uh, but it's still basically the same thing. And uh, the, the, the cape at the end of it, it curves around with this, like a little, like the fingers like this in my hand curving around uh, to, to protect Provincetown Harbor. So uh, you can see that despite the way that the storms come, and they, they're ferocious northeasters that fit, hit this part of the, the coast, despite the ferocity of these storms, so much re- remains the same. And uh, when we went this past year, Susan and I, uh, for kind of an anniversary trip back to the Cape, uh, one of the first things that I did was I looked for a store where I could get the tidal charts. And they have charts out. They've, they've laid out the tide time, the times for the high tides and the low tides, for the whole year, a year ahead of time. How can they do this? If the sea is so unruly, if the sea is so bent on its storms and roiling this way and that, how can there be such regularity with the sea? And yet there is. And so as Job compared himself to the sea, as he compared his soul to the sea, Spurgeon couldn't help notice how... Um, how uh, Job's soul was so much more turbulent, and man's soul was so much more turbulent than the sea. And if you'd say that the sea was wild, and why pay attention to me, O God? or Why bring your judgments upon me when, when, I, when I'm, you know, so unlike the sea? Well, he said, you, you you are so so unlike the sea because though the sea roils this way and that way and it storms sometimes, yet. Uh, In comparison to the self-willed man, uh, the sea is calm by comparison. So Job asked, am I a sea or a sea servant? He was asking this kind of sarcastically or hypothetically, as if there was no comparison there. Uh, And yet, uh, as Spurgeon looked at it, he saw that there was uh, a great comparison, there a great difference, because... Though the sea was powerful, though it, like a man's life, it goes in a certain direction, yet despite that, um, uh, the, the, the sea showed a great deal of patience and, uh, and discipline in comparison to, uh, to man. Um, he said, in comparison to man, he said, neither is there any end of man's rebellious rage. The sea, obedient to the moon, ebbs and flows with ceaseless regularity. I mean, if you look at these tidal charts, they're laid out a year ahead of time by people that understand the sea and how it moves. It's, it's down to the minute when the high tide high tide time is reached and when the low tide comes in. And so uh, out in Truro, where we go, there's a small harbor out there on the bay side. And the, the fishermen and the sailors, they, they clock these tides. And so you'll see the boats go out uh, on high tides. Or on rising tide, I should say, and then they come back before it's real low. Because in the harbor, you can be resting on the bottom of the, on the bottom of the harbor after the tide goes out. In such a way, um, so the seas, they are very obedient to the Lord. They, despite the fact that they seem impersonal and as if they're only controlled by the powers of nature. Yet they are far more obedient than we who were created to hear the voice of God and to obey him, to delight in his voice. Spurgeon wrote, man is restless beyond his sphere. He sleeps within the lines of duty, indolent where he should be active. The word indolent is very, is a very neat word. Uh, indolent means a, a person who is um, uh, disdainful of the powers of that are over him. Um, Disrespectful, uh, impatient, and so uh, he may sit as a a citizen of the society with some kind of order about himself but in his heart he's rebellious and he doesn't really love the rule that is over him. So man is indolent over the Lord, Uh, Spurgeon said where he should be active, He will neither come nor go at the divine command, but suddenly prefers to do what he should not, and to leave undone that which is required of him. In our shorter and larger catechisms, they do studies of what the what the, uh, the what the commandments command actively, and what to, what they they call for us to do in righteousness, and then what what in righteousness we do by by uh, disregarding them. so, uh, so it is with us. We <clears throat> are so quick uh, to prefer what we should not do and leave undone uh, that which is required of us. So we have sins of co-mission and sins of omission and they come so easily to us. Whereas the the sea, uh, every drop in the ocean wrote Spurgeon, every beaded bubble and every yeasty foam flake, every shell and pebble feel the power of law and yield or move at once at home in our backyard I've got a rock from uh, Lake Ontario uh, that was very close to the place where Susan's mom went to college um, uh, up there, there's a college town right on the Lake Ontario and, and the, they have the Great Lakes there. The, on Lake Ontario is one of the Great Lakes and it, it's very comparable to the ocean in that it has a lot of power to it and this, this rock that I brought back It looks like a a perfectly formed, huge goose egg or ostrich egg or something like that. Perfectly rounded. Why? Because the stones have rolled up and then rolled down. You know, as the tides have come over not just dozens of years, not just hundreds of years, but thousands of years. Because that beach has been there for thousands of years since the days of Noah. You know, and uh, uh, and before. And so we see testimonies of the regularity of the ocean. And if you want to see it, you come over to my house and ask. say, Pastor Connolly, where is that stone? And you can see how round it is and how smooth it is, and really how lovely it is. It's so symmetrical, but it's been formed by, by having all its rough edges knocked off it by the, by the sea and by the tides that have come and gone. Like we ought to be uh, rubbed, uh, rubbed round by the Spirit of God, by the powers of sanctification, as God works upon us, and even as he was working here upon Job. Job is one of the most wonderful characters of all of the Scriptures. He represents the, the zenith, you might say, of ancient man. He's one of the oldest men, if not the oldest man, that we, we see really focused on in the Scriptures. Even though his book comes in the middle, they think that he was uh, a very early patriarch within the family of faith. And so so he was rubbed raw in this case, and uh, he was well-formed, but this was by the harsh providence of God. Uh, So God gives us this man and his life as a comparison to us um, so that we might be... Uh, so that we might enjoy the kind of redemptive benefits that God brought to Job through Job and through the word of God that comes through Job uh, so that we might not have to go through it today ourselves. Or if we do go through some sort of severe suffering, we know that we are not the first. We know that one of the great saints of the Old Testament was rubbed so round by the rough providences of God and God uh, God took so much from him, and then, but then in the end, God gave it all back to him again. And so with our lives, God takes away from us, but then he gives us back. And in the end, when we lay down these lives of ours, when we lay down these lives, he gives us all of our suffering back to us, uh, double and triple, so that Jesus says that we will not be able to compare in the heavenly rest. We will not be able to compare. Uh, the the rough things of this life, or even the joys of this life, with the joys of heaven. Heaven will be so much more wonderful. Do you believe that? Do you have an ear for the word of God? Do you believe by faith? Is that an inspiration to you? If it is, then you'll be drawn to the table today, to eat and to drink, to commune with your God. Because he is your heavenly father. He is your great shepherd. And he will take you from this day on through. No matter what your providences are. No matter whether they are all harsh or all wonderful and light and sunny. God will be our heavenly father. He will be like a shepherd. He will take us to the green pastures. He will lead us beside the still waters. This is the, These are among the, the basics of faith today. And so... Uh, Job would by his uh, by his question, Am I a sea or a sea serpent, that you stand guard over me? Uh, speaking of the loathing of his life and his wishing that it wouldn't go on forever. By the end of Job, he, he had repented of all such things, things as these, even though these weren't that, that bad. These were not this was not the kind of thing that we kind of thing that we do. And yet Job repents of anything because he cannot compare the wonders of God, the goodness of God. With the the life or even the sufferings that he had uh, to meet to do there, and so uh, Spurgeon ends his devotional by saying we meet we need more watching than the billowy see, and uh and uh, and far more care uh, he says uh, he prays, Lord, rule us for thy own glory. And so, as I invite you to the table today, I invite you to, to compare yourself with the, the with Job and with the, this, this metaphor that he uses about the sea. To ask you to think, um, how much do I need the Lord? Here is a wonderful opportunity. It's a sacrament that was established by Christ with the purpose of strengthening us and uh, Making us uh, stealing our resolve, so that we might be more ready to fight the good fight in our lives. Uh, so often, we don't realize how important it is our, our minds and how we look at our lives. Uh, we don't realize how important it is to to have these things in mind. I know one of the one of the issues that I've uh, that I fought with my whole adult life is too much weight weight gain, and that sort of thing. and um, I've been really f- focusing on it this past year and uh, I've been t- I've had times where I've had great success uh, with, uh, uh, with losing weight and maybe regaining a little bit of it but losing a little bit more. and but what what has really amazed me during this ebb and flow, I like the sea, the ebb and the flow of, uh, of this one goal of sanctification that I've had, what has really amazed me is how, how, what the, the difference between uh, my mind when it's edified and when it's enlightened with Christ, when it's inspired, with uh, when, when God has made me mindful of how, how, how much better I feel when I'm under some um, um, uh, determination, some uh, 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 discipleship by His Spirit. How much better I feel uh, than otherwise, but yet, if I slip back into my older patterns, how easy it is to prefer the chiffon uh, and the pie and the sugars and that sort of thing over the things that are more healthy and uh, and yet then i'll I'll begin to feel sluggardly and and uh, uh, slow and i i can uh, I, yesterday I went and uh, played some golf a charity tournament that was uh, that I, uh, one, of our, one of my friends had told me about, and uh, my, uh, my feet were hurting a little bit as I was walking. I was thinking, you know, you know why that is, Dick? It's because you had some high. Uh, <laughs> the sugar, it really affects me. And, uh, but the, 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 the difference in mindset between being sort of on your game, and then off your game. Being on the gospel, on the kingdom, on righteousness and off is remarkable. And we come to here to eat and to, to drink this meal in order to agitate ourselves for goodness and for righteousness, to excite ourselves, to say to ourselves, this is good. And what 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 better thing could I obtain with my life? What anxiety could I rid myself with of? What sin could I lose in the background or in the, in the rearview mission if I but sought the Lord more fully here in this meal? This is the challenge I set before you today. Don't go through this just as some vain religious ceremony. Recovenant your life as you come today, as you pray in between the passage and the elements. Give yourself to Christ. Call upon your Heavenly Father to have more power over your life, and he will come, and he will bless you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for uh, old Job. We thank you for the endurance that he had that we know came from you and not from him. We thank you for the love that you worked upon him, both in the, the... uh, positive providences of his life and the negative providences of his life. Oh Lord, help us to be brave people, more brave. Help us to not be so afraid of the difficulties of this world, but help us rather to have such a confidence in thy fatherly providence that like Job, we know that thou art the one that giveth and thou dost taketh away and when thou dost take away it will only be so that you can give us more. In the aftermath, bless us, O Lord, with this insight. In Jesus we pray, amen.